Let us pray. Most loving and gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to hear your voice. Lord, may your word be spoken and your word received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On this Sunday, we celebrate the reality of Jesus as the Good Shepherd, as we heard proclaimed in the Gospel today. And he reminds us that the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That he's going on to tell us of the love that he has for each of us. And as we hear this gospel narrative during the Easter season, we do so knowing that we're celebrating the reality of the sacrifice of Jesus on Good Friday and his resurrection again on Easter. So it's fitting that during the Easter season we're reminded by Jesus that he sees himself as the one who gives his life so that we might live. And he gives his life as a demonstration of love and care and his promise to be with us, that he's for us. Because he reminds us, well, the hired hand, who's not the shepherd, is just going to run away when trouble comes because they're just doing their job. But the shepherd who is in relationship, who cares for the sheep, remains. And it's that relationship that Jesus is trying to get us to understand. That as the good shepherd, he doesn't say, I'm out of here when things get rough. He says, I remain with you. And when trouble comes against you, when death comes against you, the shepherd says, I will give my life so that you may live. That's who Jesus is. That's what he has done on our behalf. And there's an important statement that he makes in here that we need to keep in mind all the time. As Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down so that I may take it up. And I have authority to lay it down and to take it up. And that may seem like a minor detail, but we have to remember the events of Holy Week leading up to his crucifixion and later his resurrection. They were not sort of accidents that happened to poor Jesus along the way. He knew full well what was going to transpire. And he knew he had the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. It wasn't snatched from him. It wasn't stolen from him. It wasn't that if it just wasn't for Pilate or the evil leaders of the time, everything would have just gone on. But he came to offer himself. That was the very mission for which he came. And nothing that transpired was really accidental. Jesus knew full well what would take place what was being asked and freely 
he offered it. And that carries a different message. Because if Jesus just said, well, I'm the shepherd, and you sheep got me killed, and I really didn't want to, and now I'm really angry with you guys, because I had to suffer because you couldn't get it together. <laughs> what message does that say about the shepherd, if that was his thought? But that's not what Jesus is thinking about us. He's thinking, I knew there was going to be trouble. And of my own free will, I came and stood before you to save you from death. So that in my rising again, you too could have life eternal. That's a demonstration of the love of God for us. And then the response is, he calls us to live in that love which is what 1 John is talking about. That aspect of recognizing that we are all children of God called to live in love, which Deacon Mary Carol nailed so well in her sermon last week. And so if you missed it, find your way to the website or Facebook and take a listen. And this passage of John picks up on that as we're reminded that this is how we know what love is. And this is an important statement because if we say, all right, well, we're supposed to live in love for one another. Well, how do we even know what love is? What does it mean to live in love? Well, John tells us, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's the measure. And thankfully, John gives us all the answers right here. Otherwise, we'd say, well, let's get a committee together and we'll decide what it means to love one another. And we would likely develop something that sounded really great but didn't ask much of us and wasn't very painful. But we could say, well, this is love and it's things we're already doing and we're really nailing it already, so let's just stick with those. But we have Jesus as the example. This is how we know love because he showed it. And the way that he showed it is the way that we're called to live. To be willing to lay down our life for one another. How many of us think we have that nailed? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of times we don't even want to talk to somebody who's annoyed us. Let alone lay down our life for one another. We think, lay down our life, I hope I never see them again. <laughs> but that's the change in our heart that Jesus is not asking us to take up, but commanding us to follow through. And it can only happen by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit poured into us at our baptism to lead us and guide us. And it is a lifelong transformation that we will not nail. But day by day, we better be praying that each day looks a little more like Jesus. And that we would have the heart of Jesus to be willing to lay down our life for the one who annoys us the most. Then John goes on to say, well, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Let us not love with words or tongue, 
but with action and in truth. And this is where it gets challenging. Because it'd be really easy to say, well, I love somebody in an intellectual and emotional way, but not have to do a thing. It's another thing when love costs us something by action, by truth. And that is the demonstration that Jesus gave us. The love he has for us cost him his life that he freely laid down and took up again. And if we're going to really love like Jesus, it will cost us something. And it will not be easy. And it's not going to be always fun and comfortable. But we're not told, well, this is an option. You know, like if you buy a car, would you like to add that trim level or that option to your car? It's not like this is an add-on to Christianity if you'd like to have some bonus feature. This is the mandate. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is the evidence that we're followers of Jesus, that we love like Jesus, that we live like Jesus. That's the evidence. Not our jewelry or our bumper stickers or clergy collars, but in truth and in action. Dear friends, John says, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is the command. And this is important, again, that John tells us the answer because otherwise people hear this and they think, well, okay, so we have to obey his commands. And then people usually insert in there whatever sort of legal interpretation of the law and behavior that they want to insert and say, well, that's what it means to follow Jesus. This particular action or non-action, whatever it is. And we get in all these moral fights about all the prescriptions that must take place for to prove that you're keeping the commandments. But John doesn't leave it ambiguous that we can fill this in any way that we want. Because thankfully, he says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. That's the fulfillment of the commandment. Not all these other laws that we try to determine who's in and who's out based on one thing or another that we're fighting about throughout church history. And those things are important to discuss. I'm not saying they're not important to discuss, but we use those as, well, we have to follow the commandment. Well, what's the command? Believe in the name of Jesus and love one another as he loved us. That's the demonstration. That's the measure. That's the evaluation. And what does our life look like? What does the church look like if those become the focus instead of all the other things that have divided people over the centuries and have divided the church over centuries? What if we set those things aside and said, well, if John says these are the things that are important, if these are the command is to believe in Jesus 
and what he's done for us and to love one another. What if that settles everything? And there still will be differences. There will still be challenges with living with one another. But what if these commands are enough? That we believe in Jesus and love one another and that in itself can hold us together and unite us in the midst of things that we may not see eye to eye about. But what if we don't have to? What if loving one another and believing in the name of Jesus doesn't mandate that? What if it doesn't mandate unanimity on every issue and platform that could be thought of by any single person? If that's the case, we would never, we'd never get together. Because who thinks that we agree on 100% of everything in life? <laughs> I think that only happens in, in one place, and uh, as I probably said before, and they call those cults. Where you're only allowed one, one thought, and that's it. But let us be held together in who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and love one another even in the midst of our differences. That's the commandment. That's the church. And what kind of witness does that send to the rest of the world? What does that do to our divisions and pain and hurt if we don't need to fight those battles because Jesus is enough? Loving one another is enough. And what if that holds us together? even in the midst of our differences. Think of how that would change uh, your family or our workplaces or Facebook or all sorts of places we encounter with one another if love was enough and our unity in Jesus was sufficient and we didn't have to settle every other division. May the Holy Spirit teach us day by day what Jesus has done for us, that he freely laid down his life for us. And may we love one another in that same way. And may that love of Jesus in each of us wipe away our divisions and our hurt and our resentment and our fights with one another. May Jesus be at the center and may our love for him and one another be enough. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that knowing the full cost of what your incarnation would require, you came to stand before us, to stand in our place. You know the hurts and divisions that exist in, our, in all of our lives, in the diocese, in the church, in the nation. We pray that your Holy Spirit would Take those places of division and replace them with your love. May our hearts and our minds be focused on you. May we see one another with the eyes and the heart that you see, each of us. And may we learn to love one another, even to the point to lay down our lives for one another. May our divisions come to an end. And may our unity be in you. And Jesus, we ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen.